So Christmas is on its way. We're in the uh, Advent theme. And over the next three weeks, I want to um, kind of obviously walk through the story, right? That's what we do at this time of year. But one of the the challenges every year for the preacher is to try and find a new way to look at this incredible story that we've all heard uh, a thousand times. It's like holding this beautiful diamond up and we have to kind of turn it a little to see another facet. And so this year, I I want to talk about how Christmas is the ultimate gift exchange. And to give a little bit of context, you've all been to those parties, right? Where there's maybe some kind of white elephant gift exchange, right? And the premise of those things is that you will come with something uh, cheap and uh, maybe ugly and maybe that you don't want anymore in the hope that as you play the game, you'll be able to leave with something better than you came with. Right? You know those, those games? Judy Bogan showed up to church today with this thing that looked like a stick of dynamite, but it was some hot sauce. I said, Judy, what you doing? She said, I want it in a gift exchange, and I don't want it, and Larry loves hot sauce, so I'm going to give it to him. Right? Judy was not able to successfully exchange her gift. Right? I don't know if anybody watches The Office, but there's this Christmas episode where they're having one of these white elephant gift exchanges, and Michael, the boss, says, okay, $10 limit. So everybody shows up with all these um, really cheap kind of obnoxious gifts, right? You know, the oven mitts and the tea towels and the cheap plastic junk, right? But Michael, trying to make this impression as this generous boss, shows up with a $400 iPad. (laughs) And he throws that into the circle, and of course, everybody's fighting for the iPad, right? And Michael thinks he's been so generous and kind and nice, and he kind of wants to win the iPad for himself, but he leaves with some oven mitts. (laughs) And he's kind of frustrated by it. Over the next few weeks, I want to look at the Christmas narrative and look at some of those exchanges in it. Because the reality is that so often we come to to, to life and the best gift that we can give is not good enough. It's not enough for us. It's not enough for others. But Christmas is about God coming and saying, hey, I want to play this game with you. And I want to exchange the best that I have for what you have and where you're living. It's almost like God comes and says, hey, I want your oven mitt. (laughs) And in response, I'll give you that, that iPad. Christmas is all about this great exchange. And as we look at the characters in the uh, Advent story, in the Nativity, all of them come with something that they exchange and they leave with something infinitely better because Jesus came. Today I want to look at the story of Zechariah, which is found in Luke chapter 1, and the exchange that he makes. Honestly, it is an incredibly significant exchange 
that all of us need to make and hope to make in one way or another. Zachariah exchanges his frustration for hope. That is an incredible deal. When we can take the things that frustrate us, the things that annoy us, the things that we've done wrong, the things that others have done to us that kind of wrap us up and exchange them for hope. So Luke chapter 1. We hear about this guy, Zachariah. What do we know about Zachariah? We know that he was a priest. That he was a very religious man. He and his wife, Elizabeth, had uh, come from the tribe of Aaron, which was a tribe of priests. So he was a priest, and his daddy was a priest, and his granddaddy was a priest, and his great-granddaddy would have been a priest, and it would have been the same on her side. And over the years of following this religious duty, the Scripture says that they knew how to do the right thing. It says that they were very righteous, verse 6. Righteous not just in the eyes of those that they lived with and ministered with, but they were righteous in God's sight. They were living without blame according to all the commands and requirements of the law. On one level, Zechariah and Elizabeth were doing pretty well at life. They were well respected in the community and they were doing the right things before God. If we were to stop the story there, we could say that Zachariah was a gift. He was a gift to the world. He was a gift to his city because of how he served. He was a gift to his colleagues because of how he led. He was a gift to the temple because of how he worshipped. Now, I don't think he was the kind of guy who had an ego that was big enough to say, Hey, here I am. I'm so glad you get to see me today because I'm a gift to the world. But the reality is, from what we know about Zechariah in this, this first few verses, he was a gift. He was doing things right. I want to let you know and remind you that when God shaped you and made you and created you, he created you as a gift with gifts. He put things inside of you that would bless others, that would help others, that would make a difference in others' lives. Zechariah was a gift. You are a gift. But unfortunately for Zechariah, like many of us, it takes a long time to figure out what kind of a gift we are, right? It takes a long time to figure out how we can make a difference. It takes a long time to figure out what are our places in the world. 
And so Zachariah and Elizabeth, they're later in life, and they're kind of figuring out that they're a gift, and they kind of want to open their gift up and share it. But it says in verse 7 that there's a problem. It says that they had no children. And there's a little clue there to experience some things, to explain some of the things that are going on with Zechariah and Elizabeth. To not have children in this day was considered a sign of shame. And with that shame, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm got like a big visual aid thing going on here, and I'm never quite sure if it'll work, so... I may need someone else to help me. In a minute, in a minute I will. All right, all right, okay, so, so track with me, right? A life is a gift, right? Thank you, I will in a minute, right? Maybe you could just grab those, I'll need them in a minute, right? <laughs> Thank you. You are a gift to me, <laughs> right? Right, so his life is a gift, but he doesn't have kids, and that's very frustrating to him, right? And every time we get frustrated, what happens is that the gift we are becomes a little harder to open, right? Does that make sense? Right, so we read that because he ha can't have kids, even though he's a gift, he becomes a little frustrated. And when we're frustrated, our gift is harder to open. You guys are tracking with me? So he kind of had this, this generational frustration going on because legacy was something that was very, very important to him and to his people, but they didn't have children, and it was almost like there was this big black mark of frustration on the gift that was his life. Another reason that he was frustrated was he read in the first... You, you got me? I'll give you a fresh piece. Do you want some scissors? All right, thank you. Right? What was to do with what it says in verse 1, that Herod was the king. And so he kind of had this um, political frustration going on, right? Now, Herod, uh, in some ways, wasn't the worst king all of the time. He did some pretty good things. But by the end of his life, Herod's ego uh, was out of control to the point that he was wanting to kill every baby under two years old, right? Because he was so insecure. And so Zechariah, he has this frustration going on because they kind of have kids. He's also living in this time where there's a lot of political frustration. I don't care what side of the aisle that you're on right now, but you are experiencing some political frustration with the way things are going in our country. And I'm sure that, like me, you have met people who are so consumed by the political situation that they can't be who they are. It's almost like that political frustration constrains them, right? Another frustration, if we can. You've been a, you know Vanna White, but you're doing all right. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Another frustration that he was experiencing was that Elizabeth and he would have experienced lots of shame, right? No, no, no kids meant no legacy, 
but no kids also bought shame. You know what happens when we're feeling shamed? We want to hide, right? We want to bury the gift. It constrains us. We duck away from opportunities and challenges. Mike, have another piece of tape, please. And then I'm just going to give you it and let you wrap it, if that's okay. There was a political uh, shame. There was a generational shame. There was a, a legacy shame. There was a spiritual shame. The first thing that the angel said when the angel shows up to Zechariah is that your prayers have been answered. But before that, there was at least 30, 40 years of prayers not being answered. That's good. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> right? I mean, how frustrating is it, right? Praying for the same thing for 40 years as they would have been for this child. And God doesn't answer. That's got to create some kind of spiritual crisis in you, right? That creates some kind of frustration that holds us back, that constrains us. The other frustration that they were experiencing. Thank you. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> is that they were getting older, right? So some of you guys know better than I do that, you know, getting older is overrated, right? <laughs> you, you, your body starts to slow down a little bit. Happy birthday, Bill, yeah. <laughs> Right? But, but there's things that you want to do that you can't do anymore because your body's not what it used to be. And it's frustrating. Amen. There we go, right? And it gets frustrating, right? So here's Zechariah. We hear he's a righteous man. He, he's a gift to the world. But rather than later in life unwrapping this gift, he can't do it because he's so frustrated. And the ties of frustration are constraining him. C can you just kind of keep going and just like cover that thing completely? Yep. Doesn't need to be pretty, right? Because that's our story, right? These were some of his frustrations, but we all have our own frustrations. Not where I thought I wanted to be financially, right? It constrains us. I'm not doing what I wanted to do. It constrains us. Family's not turning out as I wanted it to. It's constraining us. Thank you, Bobby. There you go. Everybody contributes. <laughs> Just make it hard to open. That's my. That's where I'm going with this. Not impossible, because that'll ruin my thing. But. <laughs> Right, but you get the point, is that, that Zachariah is here, this man who's pleasing to God, this gift to the world, but he can't share that gift because he's constrained by frustration. And so he goes to work one day, and this is not just uh, any work day, this is a very special work day. Because for the first time in hundreds and hundreds of years, God shows up. Now, the way it was in these days is that there were so many priests that it wasn't like one priest would just pastor a church and go to the temple and do his thing. There were so many priests that they had to divide them into regiments 
And then they would draw lots from that regiment to see who would go into the temple and tend to the altar and light the, 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 the smoke, which symbolized the, the, the prayers of the saints going up and the presence of God coming down. On this day, randomly, by lot, where's my frustration package, right? Zechariah gets chosen, right? And to, and to him and probably everyone else, it just seemed like a huge coincidence. But, but there are no coincidences with God, right? So this man who is right before God, but bound up by frustration goes into the temple. It's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to do his duty. And when he's there, the angel shows up. There is no protocol in the religious handbook about what to do when an angel shows up. But fortunately, this angel had been sent by God, and there is a handbook in heaven about how angels should greet people. The first thing the angel says is, hey, do not be afraid. Right? That's the first thing they teach you in angel school, I guess. <laughs> it says, do not be afraid because your prayer has been heard. What a powerful statement that is. Do not be afraid because the deepest longings of your heart, that thing inside of you that you want so badly, which is bound up in frustration, man, those prayers have been heard by God. Your wife, Elizabeth, is going to have a son. You will name him John. He will be a joy and a delight for you, and many will rejoice at his birth. Joy and delight, man, those are things that the Zechariah hadn't heard for a long time. Why? Because he's so bound up, right, with his frustration. He'll be great in the sight of the Lord. He will never drink wine or beer. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. He will turn many children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the power of Elijah to turn the hearts and fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous to make ready the path prepared for people. So Zechariah... He's got this very frustrated life. And so the angel says up and says, says we're going to wrap, rip off that packaging so you can be free. Your prayers have been heard. Your wife and your family, you don't just live a, an ordinary life. You can live an extraordinary life. But because he's so frustrated with life, because he's so bound up, his response is kind of like, huh? <laughs> How can I know this? Zechariah asked the angel. For I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. Here's something that I realized about this verse. When we're frustrated, frustrated tends to lead us easily to disbelief, to unbelief, right? When we're optimistic and hopeful, then we tend to lean towards belief. 
But he's in this place where he's really wrapped up, where he's really frustrated. And so God says, hey, I've got something great for you. And he says, "Uh uh-uh, it's not going to happen. His frustrations had got the better of him. They were dominating him. They had wrapped him up, right? There's no way this is going to happen. You don't know the frustration in my life. You don't know how, how tied up I am. The angel says, but I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. That was his credential. I was sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. But because you don't want to hear it, you will become silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in proper time. So he's all wrapped up in frustration, right? The angel says, you're going to get out of this frustration. He says, no, I can't. (laughs) The angel says, yes, you can, and I'm in charge here. And because you're not trusting me, I'm going to make you silent for nine months. This silence is not punitive, but it's definitely a form of discipline. Because what the angel wants is to teach Zechariah to have hope, to start believing, to trust God. And I was thinking of all the ways that that God could have um, taught Zechariah this lesson. Why did he choose to make him mute? I mean, it seems so counterintuitive, right? He's had this incredible experience of God... This life-changing encounter with an angel, but now he can't tell anybody about it. Can you imagine what would happen if Zachariah was on social media, right? I think, I mean, this is like the the, the post to end all posts, right? You know, a little selfie with the angel. None of that because he was silenced, right? He couldn't tell anybody what, what happened. Why did God make him silent when God had just done something great? I think God made Zachariah silent because he knows that we tend to listen better when we talk less. And I think it was this moment of silence when he was forced to listen more than he could talk, that he was able to reconnect not just with God, but he was also able to address some of his frustration. Does that make sense? We can listen more when we don't talk as much. And God was saying to Zechariah, I know you've got this frustration. I know, it's, I know it's bound you up. But if you can trust me, and you can listen to me, and you can come to know me, and you can understand me, then maybe we can, we can get free. Story continues. Meanwhile, uh, people were waiting. They were amazed that he stayed so long in the sanctuary. When he did come out, he didn't speak to them. And they realized that something was going on. They had seen a vision. He was making signs to them and remaining speechless. What a sight that would have been. 
It's interesting, 23, that as soon as he's had this encounter, he doesn't go home, he doesn't go and rest, he has to go back to work, right? Because as when the days of his ministry were complete, there was still more work to do, he went back home. Imagine trying to explain this to Elizabeth. But somehow on his return home, Elizabeth was pleased to see him and he was pleased to see her and she conceived. Little, I don't know if I should say this or not. <laughs> Little note to men. <laughs> Sometimes it's better to listen more than you talk. She becomes pregnant. She said, the Lord has done this for me. He looked with favor in these days to take away my disgrace. And it says about Elizabeth that she went into seclusion. You know why she went in seclusion? So she had nobody to talk to. So that she too could listen. Because she needed exactly what he needed which was to stop, to have a time out, to pause, and to listen to God. I think that that seclusion and that muteness that he experienced was the transitional exchange moment where the frustration in his life started to come undone and the hope that was to come started to break through. Does that make sense? Sometimes we need to be silent to exchange the gift that we have and receive what God has for us. Does that make sense? I, I could kind of go uh, a lot into this. I'm, I'm not sure I need to, right? But we've made the Christmas season so busy. We're running around with a thousand different things and missing the whole point. Because the Advent season is supposed to be a slowing down and a quietness time where we talk less and do less so we can listen and reflect more. So here's Zachariah. Good guy. But his life is all bound up in frustration. And the frustration in his life almost costs him dearly. He almost blows the, the one shot he's got at grabbing this hope. But fortunately, this merciful angel just gives him a timeout and says, you've got, to, you've got to press the pause button on life. You've got to, to listen more. And in his grace, he does the same thing to his wife. And so six months pass and she meets with Mary. And nine months pass and the baby is born. Looking forward to verse 57. The time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she had a son. Then the neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they rejoiced with her. You see what's happening? All this rejoicing, all this celebration. Those chains of frustration that had defined their life were being broken. And other people were starting to get excited that they were full of joy. And, and hope has this beautiful quality, doesn't it, right? That, that, that just energizes it, it spreads it, it, it triggers it, 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 it enlightens. Yeah. 
When they came to circumcise the child on the eighth day and to give it a name, which was considered long enough for the baby to be legitimate, all the friends and the family were fussing that they wanted to call it Jeremiah after the father, but the nurse said, no, his name is going to be John. They said to her, lady, you're crazy. None of your family members are called that name. So, so they ran to, to Zechariah, who hadn't been able to speak for, for nine months. It's like, where have you guys been? Zechariah, what should we call him? And his first words that he issued are, his name is John. His name is John. What's happening here is that he's not just naming a baby. He's affirming his faith in God. He's saying, I trust now. I believe now. I'm in now. Frustration no longer has me bound up. It no longer has the, the reins on me. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was set free and he began to speak praising God. Awe came on all those who lived around them and all these things were talked about throughout the hell country of Judea. Why? Because good news spreads quickly, right? All of us are so hungry for a little bit of hope that when we get some, it, it, it travels far. All who heard about it took him to heart. What will become of this child, they said, for indeed the Lord's hand was in it. And then Zechariah, where's my scissors? This is the big reveal moment. Thank you. I'm excited about this. Zechariah is bound up, he's frustrated, right? He has this encounter with the angel that causes him to press the pause button to stop talking and start listening more. The baby comes, he gets his faith in place, he affirms his trust in God, his tongue comes back. Everybody around the country is going crazy, they're so excited about what happened. And he pulls off to this side room, and starting at verse 67, <laughs> see, I... One of the things you lose when you get older, right? I got to really hear that. He goes into this little room and he starts to sing a song of hope. Blessed is the God, the God of Israel, because he has visited and provided redemption for his people. You know what redemption means? It means change. He raised up the horn of salvation for us in the house of the servant David. Just as he spoke by mouth of the prophet, salvation from our enemies is coming. He's dealt mercifully with our fathers. He's remembered his holy covenant. And he goes on and on and on. And what's, what's happening is hope is just flooding him. Oh man, I hope these scissors are sharp enough. Because what's happening when he goes to sing is that this gift that he had that was so bound up in frustration is being released. This is the wow moment. You guys ready? Because I had to plan this real hard. And he and his son 
became light to the world because they started to hope. Did that work? Okay. <laughs> yeah, you can clap. I mean, that was, that was a lot of thought went into that. <laughs> right? Right? But here's life with this gift, right? And life happens and we get so frustrated that we get bound up and we get bound up and we get bound up and we get so into ourselves that even when hope appears, there's nothing we can do and God has to discipline and says, hey, stop. Just listen and reflect and trust. And when we do, hope comes and it frees the light within us, right? And that's why uh, John says when Jesus is coming, the, the light has invaded the darkness and the darkness can never overcome it. The light of Jesus overcomes our darkness. Zachariah, whose life was bound up in frustration, in the darkness of being trapped, was set free to live a life of hope because the light was coming. I don't know about you, but that's a good exchange. And I look at my life, and honestly, I look at some of your lives, <laughs> and it gets frustrating, right? But the good news of Christmas, the good news of Jesus coming is that we can exchange that frustration for hope. As we prepare for the Christmas season, I pray that you would be quiet enough to let God's hope invade your frustration so that your gift, the gift that he's given you, can shine in this dark world. Zechariah had been a religious man all his life, but all that religion had done had just bound him up. And then he comes into relationship with God, and life starts to happen. As we conclude this first Christmas message, we're going to do so by sharing communion, where we celebrate the fact that Jesus came was to exchange his life on a cross for our life, to take all of our sin and shame and mess and junk and replace it with the hope and the forgiveness and the grace that comes through him.